the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Liebson. As we head into hour two, it is a delight to bring back to the show my candidate for Attorney General of the state of Arizona. I hope yours as well, Abe Hamaday, Abraham Hamaday. He's a former prosecutor and U.S. Army captain, an intelligence officer. Abe, welcome back. How's it going out there? You're taking the state by storm, aren't you? Oh yeah, it's great. We just I just spoke at the Trump rally on Friday evening. Uh we brought down the house. Uh it was uh it was an honor actually and for you know, right now we got seven days left of the campaign and you know, I, I think for this has been the most, you know, Cinderella story, yeah. biscuit story race uh, you know, in Arizona history. I think I came I was literally the last candidate to announce than any other statewide candidate, and here we are, the front runner. And you know, I just ask your viewers to you know vote for me on August second to to be the Republican nominee for Attorney General to take on to take on the radical left. I'm going to ask of them more than that. Not just vote for you. Go to his website, folks, and see if you can help him out. Abe for ag dot com. A b e f o r a g dot com or uh, spread around uh, what we're going to be talking about in a few moments uh, here. But yeah, Abe, let me just stay on that for a moment, because this is in some respects a statement about the greatness of this country, too. You can start as an unknown. And when we first met, I didn't I didn't even know who you were. And um, man, you can't turn your head now and talking about politics without people saying Abe Hamaday or Abraham Hamaday or that guy Abe. I like that guy Abe. You're on everyone's tongues and in everyone's minds. And uh, you did it by dint of just damn hard work, didn't you? I mean, right? I mean, that's what you just, you didn't, you weren't shy about calling people. You weren't shy about knocking on doors and giving the speeches. As I like to say about you, you never asked what the political thing to do was. You always asked what the right thing to do or say was. And son of a gun, it's been paying off and rewarded. That's kind of a story about America, too, isn't it? Only here. Oh, yeah. It's a complete underdog story, and it's just like grit. And, you know, when I spoke at the Trump rally the other night, um, you know, I wasn't nervous that I'm running. You know, people can tell my, they can sense my authenticity, my passion, that I'm running for a purpose. Yep. You know, I'm re- I'm truly running to save our state and to save our country. I can see our country going to hell so quickly. Yeah. I mean, it is it is so shocking. So, you know, I don't care. You know, there's a lot of negative attack ads against me. That's what happens when you're the front runner. It's because all these other candidates, they're desperate to be politicians. I'm desperately worried about our country, and that's why I'm running, and that's what's resonating with people. People are so sick and tired of the smooth-talking politicians. I'm just honest. I'm brutally honest. So I got my you know, mantra, honest Abe. And it's, uh, well, it's now hold on. Up. That's not where you got your mantra, honest Abe. <laughs> that's something. Yeah. That, hold <laughs> on. That comes, <laughs> that comes from the 19th century president of the United well, States. It, Let's it, get, it, I, I had to call you out on that one, Abe. <laughs> Sorry, you cracked me up. I love Lincoln so much. I know you do too. <laughs> I had to crack up on that. 
we got to vote for another Abraham. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. We got it. It's time for another honest Abe. How's that? Yeah. Who who saw? I mean, but the parallel there. He he saw his country as a house divided. Uh, that was his, of course, great speech, calling card speech. Um, and you do too. And it's divided because we've allowed so much nonsense to infiltrate our thinking and our policies. And, you know, you're not, as Reagan said, you're not just doing this to mark time, you, like, like many of the other candidates. You are here for a cause and a purpose. And thank God for it. And thank you for it. You've served our country in uniform. And now you're going to serve, hopefully, our country and our state in office, Abe. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thanks for always being willing to uh, chat with our audience as well. Thanks for this op-ed you wrote in the Washington Examiner over the weekend. It was published to fight the drug crisis. The government must secure the southern border. Everyone who's a Republican feels that they have to say something about the border, and they're all kind of saying the same things. You're saying the, the 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 right and appropriate things about the border, but you're making an even stronger and bigger and more unique case that I don't think the rest of this country has wrapped their heads around. So I'm glad you're doing it. It's not just a security issue. It's not just a policing and safety issue. It's not just a constitutional issue. It is all of those things, but it's now become a public health issue. Tell us about what you're saying in your op-ed. Oh, absolutely, Seth. It's, uh, you know, fentanyl is the leading, you know, contributor to deaths among young people now. And why I talk about it, because it's, it's affecting my generation the most. When you have over 100,000 deaths related to drugs in 2021, this is a, this is a crisis. And it, the contributing factor is our open southern border, which is allowing these drug cartels to operate and to run these multi-billion-dollar operations, so this is where, you know, as Attorney General, we have to start getting tougher on the overdoses and the drugs that are coming into our country. And you start at the root cause of it, and that's why, you know, I've said on day one, I'm going to work with the legislature and the, the and the new governor to classify the cartels as terrorist organizations to have enhanced sentencing on them. So, you know, you t- a lot of politicians are going to be talking about and all, but they're not going to be dealing with the root cause of it. So this is where, you know, we have to secure our border. And you know, I was actually on the radio with Lou Dobbs yesterday, and he, you know, he's been talking about this. For oh, he was, a a, he was a pioneer on the issue. Yeah, he's, he was doing this in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a, I, honestly, I was fanboying a little bit, Seth, because Lou Dobbs is probably one of the most influential people in my political life. Uh, I used to watch him religiously. No kidding. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Obama is great. And, you know, we're talking about this issue, and it's, it, it, it's so shocking to see how, you know, fentanyl and the drug overdoses, it, it affects everybody yep. so personally. Yep. You know, everybody has some story, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member. I mean, I even have, you know, one of my best friends from high school um, was affected by drugs and yep. was killed by drugs. So you know, everybody has, it's, 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 so it needs to be more communicated to the public where, you know, it, it seems like people are ashamed to talk about it. And, you know, to, not just to be ashamed to talk about it, we have to actually confront it head on. Yep. And the way to do that is to secure our southern border. But, you know, it, it, I encourage everyone to read the op-ed piece in the Washington Examiner because, you know, it, it says it so clearly how the government reacted so quickly to the COVID hysteria, right. quite frankly. 
Right. And now we have something that really didn't affect young people, quite honestly. Right. It really didn't. But we've made young people pay the price. Right. Precisely. And and right now we're talking about 100,000 deaths. Right. We're not talking about the overdoses, the the amount of people who are going to prison. Right. Just this. Right. The extreme part. Right. Exactly. So there's actually affects millions. Oh, yeah. Workplace accidents, traffic safety, family breakup, friend breakup, all kinds of ancillary issues that we aren't even discussing. We're just talking about the in extremist element of this, which is awfully extreme at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where, you know, as one of the big functions of the attorney general's office is combating um, these drug crimes. And, you know, just the other day we had another seizure of, of illegal fentanyl. Um, fentanyl in the state. So this is where we got to keep at it. We got to work, keep working with the state legislature. But the main priority is to secure our southern border. And that's why I've called for a declaration of an invasion. Um, even even Attorney General Mark Burnovich has called for this as well. So, well, you know, you're, you're right to- on this because um, if you talk to, tragically, I've had to, and, and, and you have, and, and will more until we fix this, if you talk to the parent or loved one, of someone who succumbed to a drug poisoning, and maybe that's the better phrase. I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with the phraseology of overdose. I, I almost think it's worn its welcome out, Abe, because fentanyl isn't it? When you, when you, when you die from fentanyl, that's not prescribed to you. It's, it's not an overdose. It's a dose. So I'm, I'm using the phrase poisoning more and more. Uh, when, when, when you, um, when you talk to a mother, a parent, a loved one who succumbs to this poisoning, they think of the dealer. Of course, as a terrorist, as the worst kind of criminal that did this to their family, did this to their loved one. It's the right way to think about it and concentrate the mind. I think society for too long has kind of been blithe about this and thinking of uh, drug use as another, oh, I don't know, lifestyle choice or something that should be coddled. And 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 when you want to classify these dealers at ter- uh, as terrorists, that's framing the mind the right way, Abe. That's my view. Exactly right. And, you know, there's so much, I I want people to understand it's not just somebody trying to get a high. Right, right. right. I mean, oftentimes, I'm a former prosecutor in Maricopa County Attorney's Office. I saw firsthand some very, you know, some very normal people get addicted to these drugs, and then it just changes their mind completely. I mean, they, they develop mental illness or they end up on the streets. So, you know, this is affecting society. I mean, if you drive downtown Phoenix, just look at the homeless encampments all across downtown Phoenix right now. Before, it used to just be on a, on one block. Now it spreads across many blocks from the homeless shelter. So this is where the, the border crisis is not just these poor migrants coming across, as the media likes to, you know, make it seem like. It, it is affecting our day-to-day lives. It's affecting our communities. And we have to push back and fight back on it, especially when, you know, it's, it's our, it's my generation's fight. I mean, we're having an epidemic of 100,000, uh, young people die from drug overdose. This, 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 this needs to be the issue of the day. I want to hold you over for one more segment if I can. Do you have time for one more brief segment, Dave? Absolutely. Thanks. Let me take it. Thanks. Let me take a quick commercial break and come back on this because there's a lot more to say here. And you're saying it. You're saying it in your op-ed. Check out Abe's op-ed in uh, the Washington Examiner, folks. Uh, it's uh, it's called it's the title to fight the drug crisis. The government must secure the southern border over. Uh, you can get it at WashingtonExaminer.com or if you uh, follow me on Twitter or Abe, you can get it. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Abe Hamaday is our guest, candidate for Attorney General. You can follow him on Twitter at Abraham Hamaday, H-A-M-A-D-E-H. His website, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-G, Abe for A-G. Abe, we're talking about your piece in the Washington Examiner over the weekend on the border and the drug crisis and how, yes, we have a constitutional, a sovereignty, and a, a policing and safety issue, but it's now become, the border's now become a, a public health issue. And we're talking about uh, drug poisonings and drug deaths and how the border has become the main transportation hub for fentanyl, not just in Arizona, but throughout the country. And you put your finger in the previous segment on an interesting point, too, which is it's also causing all kinds of social destruction that too many people are kind of immune from watching. Yes, when it hits your family or your friends, you become attuned to it, obviously, in the most um, horrible of ways. But you think about the homeless that you were mentioning and the homeless population. You go down to uh, that area, uh, I think they call it the zone. We use all these euphemisms, don't we? That area around Ninth Avenue in Phoenix, where you have 800 or so lost souls, and you're looking around at these people who are committing uh, violence, not only in the community, but really more than anything against themselves and harming and and harming themselves they're 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 all lost to 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 they've all they've they're all lost to drugs they've succumbed to this abe and this country seems to as i was saying earlier not only be blithe about it but in other cities new york city subways you're seeing this in california people are the governments are doing the oddest of things they're 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 creating safe use areas <laughs> zones for safe use it's as if it's as it's as if we're not in any way interested in prevention. I get that we aren't anymore. Too bad, unfortunate. But we're also not interested in recovery or help. This is the government surrendering to this stuff, Abe. This cannot go on. I think it's you know, more than just surrendering. As you're talking about, it's almost that they've been contributing. To yeah. It. When you have you know the government's giving out syringes. Yeah. And, you know, to- than how to use some of yeah. these drugs. It, it's mind-boggling, and this is not. This is not the hallmark of a of a of a successful country. You know, when, when we have basically these these, these chronic illness. I mean, they're, they're, if you look at them, they're they're high. They're, they look like zombies in our streets. Yeah. But this is this is not a way to live. This is not the way God envisioned us to live. This is not the way free people should live. So, you know, that's where I want to hone in. You know, the idea of freedom. There's a responsibility with freedom. I think Edmund Burke you know, mentioned, you know, freedom is like fire. It could keep you warm, and it can keep your house warm, or it can burn it down. Right. And but this isn't an argument to, you know, have, you know, they're making their own choices. No, I mean, it affects all of society, and this is where we have to be good stewards and good citizens as well. So you know, as Attorney General, I'd be working with the governor and the legislature to, you know, tackle this on. But the chronic homeless problem, the homelessness problem is increasing in, in Arizona specifically Phoenix and Tucson, but it's going into our rural communities, and especially fentanyl. Fentanyl actually started off, I mean, in the Midwest, it was really affecting the Rust Belt states, primarily in rural and the rural areas. But now, you know, as as happens with drugs, now it's becoming increasingly more common in our cities and in our suburbs. So everybody has a story that they can can connect to. And this is where I want to hone in on. I want people to communicate, you know, with with friends or their families, because I don't want them to be shy about it. Right. To tackle the issue, it's not it's not something you should be ashamed of. Nope. This is it, it affects everybody. So 
and they're not alone, and they can have resources to help them as well. You betcha, and I assume your uh, uh, office that you will uh, be running in the attorney general, so you'll have a lot of messaging on that, because it is a supply and demand problem. At the same time, you're right, you can't do one at the expense of the other. Last point I wanted you address, uh, to address, and you, you get into this in your op-ed too, Abe Hamaday, and it's a, it's it's. I'm glad you're putting it this way. You, you mentioned how we up, up, turned 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 upside down our country, turned our country upside down over COVID. Uh, and in the process, violated a lot of constitutional rights from, uh, you know, just the ability to travel to, you know, the ability to go to church or synagogue or mosque. And it was it was a, a lot of individual rights that had to suffer. Solving the border problem actually bolsters and strengthens and it would be a policy in concert with our constitution our constitution guarantees not just that we get blessings of liberty but that we repel invasions this is true of both the state and federal constitutions your plan is in concert and strengthens the constitution as opposed to what was done during covid i think people need to think of it that way too absolutely i mean you're exactly right that's where you know, securing our border, and everybody's talking about this. Seth. I'm so sick and tired of the talk. Yep. I mean, we all, 240,000 people crossing our southern border every single month is unsustainable. Yep. And that is weakness. And the rest of the world, I mean, this is a national security issue. You know, besides just the, the drug problem, this is a national security issue where, believe me, our adversaries, our enemies are taking advantage of our southern border. This is why... We've had over 150 countries represented down at the border because no longer do they feel the need to go in the legal way. You know, now they, it's open season for them to cross our border, pay the cartels to get them, to get them across. So they're making a fortune off of this, which also helps their their fentanyl profit that they get from China as well. So and this is this is where, as Attorney General, it's it's my number one priority when, when I take. Good. Well, I look forward to uh, not only you doing that. I look forward to any help I can I can provide with you on that. And I'm going to wish you, uh, man, best of luck and Godspeed, sir. Thank you so much, Seth. You betcha. Uh, again, folks, if you want to follow him on Twitter at Abraham Hamaday, his website is Abe for A G A B E F O R A G dot com. Go get him, Abe. Thank you. You betcha. I am Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're looking for a really unique investment opportunity with a great return for the investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where the investors do really well by doing good for others. And what they are offering is a fixed no load interest rate up to 10 and a quarter percent for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then R-E-F-Y.com. You can also give them a call at 855-316-3087. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Hi, Seth. Um, you, you intrigued me with the, uh, uh, well, I guess everybody's sort of intrigued with the Talking Heads songs and the lyrics. Uh, my interpretation had always been kind of like what Einstein used to say about, you know, everything's in motion. Everything uh, moves. Everything is changing. And um, But I, I 
I may be off the mark. I, I, I just wanted to hear your understanding of what the words mean. Sure. It's the same thing that's going on in Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. It's kind of like, uh, and she was, and you feel like she was what? Like you're waiting for the end of the sentence. It's the same with Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. What? You won't do what? It's in yeah. the song. The answers in both cases are in the song. Kind of like maybe they say, some people um, have pos- has, have pointed out that the Bible wasn't written in order. Now, obviously, we don't want to make the analog too close to the talking heads and meatloaf, but it's not in order. So in the song, And She Was, she was lying in the grass. She could hear the highway breathing. She could see a nearby factory. She was drilling, drifting through the back uh, yard. Uh, She was moving very slowly. These are the things she was doing. It's just not in order of where he says and she where Peter Peter Byrne. Yeah, says where and she was. And that's the same thing with I would do anything for love. But I won't do that, where he gives a list of things later in the song he won't do, um, like I'd never lie yeah. to you, for example. Well, I, yeah, I, I looked at all that. And if you look at the video, I mean, it, it's more of a, you know, she sort of hovers above everything and everything below her is, is in motion. Mm. So that's why I, I had to kind of look at the whole Einsteinian. That, you know, that there's there's that, and you and I are aligned in, in, in looking at lyrics and, you know, thinking Einstein, et cetera. Sometimes, sometimes maybe we, 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 we strain the soup too thinly, as, as, as they say, because, you know, I, you know, there's that Paul Simon song, uh, I Know What I Know, and he says, didn't I see you at the cinematographer's party? And someone said, did you ever really go to a cinematographer's party? He goes, I don't even know a cinematographer. I just needed six syllables. So, you know, sometimes you can't overanalyze these things. No. Well, I have a tendency to do that a lot. And and, uh, and speaking of Einstein, uh, that sort of led me to my uh, little, you know, theory on the whole electrical vehicle uh, part where, you know, we're being pushed, we meaning the U.S. and maybe the world, are being pushed into electrical vehicles, but before really understanding um, where the power comes from and if they do away with fossil fuels, um, there won't be any power for electrical vehicles. And, and so I look at, like, with Einstein and, of course, you know, Niels Bohr and Leo Szilard and all the guys that put together uh the, the equations that made it possible for an atomic bomb to be built, um, they couldn't, well, Oppenheimer could not have done what he did uh, in the uh, uh, Manhattan Project without the work of the previous uh, physicists. Right. And also, you know, and also, uh, it was kind of an interesting bit of trivia. Obviously, with the electric vehicles, we're getting, you know, these lithium batteries, and they're being the lithium is being dug out of the ground by, uh, is it the, the Uyghurs or yeah, that's Afghanistan yeah. or something? The Uyghurs well, in China. interestingly, yeah. in the 30s, yeah. uh, the main place for uranium was in the Belgian Congo. Right. And so they, they had to get the uranium from a different place. That's right. But the idea was that, you know, the electric vehicle, as with the uh, atomic bomb, uh, couldn't have been invented without working towards the end product, which is how do you make an electrical vehicle uh, viable if you take away all of the fossil
fossil fuels designed to Yeah, no fossil fuels, no no electric vehicles. That's exactly right. We still need to power these things. We still need to get electricity. Absolutely right, Rob. Absolutely right. We're living in an image. We're living in a dream world, and it's not getting better. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I um, I delight in uh, talking with uh, probably my best friend, uh, in uh, one of my best friends in the world, Tevi Troy. He is um, he is a dear friend, but uh, when we can do it on radio, it's uh, just as fun. He's a contributing writer for the Washington Examiner, the uh, author of four books on the presidency, including most recently, Great Read, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. Great history, if you want. Presidential historian Tevi Troy. He has a piece, he has a couple pieces. He's becoming the king of all media, Wall Street Journal, and uh, also the Washington Examiner, two different pieces, same day. But the one in the Examiner is the one I wanted to talk to him about. Biden faces a mutiny. Um there's a shadow primary, Tevi writes, uh, uh, developing among Democratic politicians. Tevi, I'm going to let you take it from there. I can tell you about you or you can tell us about you. I think you're, you're the expert. I'm happy to do it, Seth, okay. and I'm always happy to be on your show. I'll, I'll do the corrections. Okay. Okay. But I did notice this phenomenon that there are some Democrats quietly but firmly making some moves. We all saw Gavin Newsom. Ad that was a shot across the bow at DeSantis, somehow claiming that California is a better place to live than Florida. Aha. Yeah. Um, but then J.B. Pritzker's going to primary states, and Kamala Harris is supposedly quietly reaching out to fundraisers. And Pete Buttigieg, you want to talk king of all media? I mean, yeah. He's really showing yeah. up everywhere. Yeah. And it seems to me that these people are angling towards running for president, but they're also doing it carefully. And the reason they're doing it carefully is because, as I recount in this piece in the Washington Examiner, I find six instances where the incumbent president had a challenge from within his party. And in all six instances, the challenger failed to overcome the incumbent president, meaning right. that they did not become the nominee or the president in that cycle. Right. And in all six cases, the incumbent president lost, perhaps as a result of being challenged from within. Because uh, so much of his hide was eaten up by the uh, the primary challenger and leaves him weak in the going into the general, theoretically, right? right? So, so it either leaves him weak as a result of being challenged, right. or the very fact that he was open to a challenge yep. revealed his weakness, one or the other. Right. It's true, maybe both. One and, of the, mo- the most famous ones I know of are Ford Reagan, Bush Buchanan, and Carter maybe. Kennedy. Are, are, those, are those the most famous ones in our... Well, I would say 1968 okay. is a really famous one okay. in terms of... Uh, Gene uh, McCarthy challenges LBJ when Robert F. Kennedy is dithering about the subject, thinking about it, but not actually willing to get in, losing. McCarthy challenges Johnson and uh, does well in New Hampshire, doesn't win, but does well in New Hampshire and forces Johnson to say he's going to step down and not run for re-election. You also have 1952, Estes Kefauver runs against Truman during the Korean War and puts some pressure on him, and Truman also decides not to run after losing New Hampshire primary to Kefauver. Right. Now, the one that we conservatives love to talk about is the Reagan-Ford 76 fight. Um, But I think almost equally interesting is the Kennedy-Carter one, Uh, because you usually, at least today, don't see as much 
prominent in fighting in the Democratic Party. I say prominent because, okay, I can understand maybe a squad member taking pot shots at the Democratic president. But Kennedy and Carter were the two giants. I mean, they were giants at their at that at 19, in 1979 and 1980. They were the giants of the Democratic Party. Right. They were the it was like Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. Yeah, no, I mean, it was clearly a race of the Titans. Yeah. Um, and it really showed a weak in Carter, but it was also a very, very nasty race. Yeah. Where Kennedy, his people, even after it was clear that Kennedy couldn't win the nomination, his people still engaged in a platform fight with the Carter people. They held up the convention, and there was almost a fist fight on the floor. And then Kennedy embarrasses Carter when Carter tries to do the victory gesture with the hands up in the air, and Kennedy will, will have none of it. And Carter's kind of pathetically on the stage reaching for Kennedy's arm, and Kennedy's not giving it to him. And it was, it was just shocking to all who saw it. Now, one of the things that you finish your piece with, we're talking to Tevi Troy, presidential historian, one of the things you, pre- you finish your piece with is what does it all mean for Biden politically now that there is this, uh, would you say, undertow or undercurrent or quiet primary, if you will? Uh, what The thing that we Reagan uh, history lovers seize on is the moment in that convention in 1976. Ford, Reagan chases Ford to the convention. Uh, Ford wins, invites Reagan up to give an impromptu few moments speech. And as the historian, then good historian of Reagan said, after Reagan's few sentences, and they, they weren't that long, very few sentences, he said you could almost feel in the convention we nominated the wrong guy, right? That yeah, was the takeaway true. there, and, and they made terrific, no mistake about very it. Very short, the terrific speech yeah. by Reagan. Also, no. the last convention where it was up in the air about who was going to win going in. Right. I mean, you, you just didn't know, and there was a chance that Reagan could have won it. And Ford is actually approached by Cheney, who's his chief of staff, about possibly putting Reagan on the ticket as his vice president. And Ford, who was a very nice guy and usually didn't cuss, said, you know, I, I won't have anything to do with that. Right. And he didn't say SOB. He said the word. So, um, so, yeah, another nasty one. And that one had Ford people dumping garbage on the Reagan delegates. And, um, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's all in the examiner, Seth. Um, and, and then also there was sort of a fight where... Um, Nelson Rockefeller tore the sign out of a, the hands of a, a Reagan supporter, and then the Reagan people tore out the telephone. Remember, there were no cell phones back then. So they tore out the telephone that the New York delegation, which was uh, Rockefeller's delegation, was using, and uh, Rockefeller was irate about that. So uh, there, there was some real nastiness in that. I, 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 guess, I guess we come to expect that because you're taking on – Someone who kind of feels they've earned it and deserved it, right? Uh, we we saw this with the nastiness against uh, Goldwater in the race for the nomination in '64. The Rockefeller people were pretty nasty. They were pretty nasty, and the language they used was pretty awful against Goldwater. And 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 I suppose that was because the Nelson Rockefeller camp thought that it was theirs, not this outsider from Arizona. Uh, the nastiness that took place with Bush Buchanan was was prevalent as well. Um, these these inner party fights almost are are more nasty than than the general election fights. Uh, Marianne Absolutely. Williamson, who made an effort to run for president a few years back as a Democrat, ended up at the end of the primaries, which she didn't do too well, in saying, "Boy, I've never seen anything so mean as the left wing of this country." Well, I mean, that's, that's two different issues. One is the left wing is pretty nasty, as we're seeing these days with all the cancellation stuff. But the other issue is that intra-party fights are nastier because they're people you know 
And, you know, with a Republican fighting a Democrat, you're never going to, the staff is never going to really run into each other. They don't go to the same bars. They don't date the same people except for Madeline and Carville. Yeah. Uh, but that was such an exception to a speech to the New York Times. And so these are people you know. They're in your backyard. You see them, and they, you feel betrayed. And I think it's that sense of betrayal that leads to the fight being super nasty. Now, there's just one other point on Reagan. Of all the people I look at, Reagan is the only person who, after one of these fights, became president. Yep. Although he did become president in that cycle. It wasn't until 1980. That's right. That's where I wanted to take that, actually, because of the point about how these people do after those fights. And it usually doesn't end well. It's certainly not 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 for not for the challenger, the incumbent. Can can I keep you three more minutes on the other side of this break? I want to fulfill that thought with you if I can. Absolutely. Thanks. Our guest is Tevi Troy. His most recent book, it's it's an it's it's a fascinatingly great history of a post-World War Two presidency fight house. One of four books on the presidency. He's written Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. I'm Seth East Tevy, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth. Portions brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day, 100% natural. Boost your immunity, your energy, and your health with the power of the blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Best product I've ever taken. You can too. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Tevi Troy is our guest, presidential historian, author of four books on the presidency, most recently Fight House, Rivalries in the White House, From Truman to Trump. We're talking about these intra-party uh, rivalries when it comes to the presidency and how it usually doesn't work out well for the incumbent or the challenger at the end of the day. But there is a massive exception, Tevi. You were just getting us to it before the break, and that's Ronald Reagan. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's an exception to my rule in that none of the people succeeded in that cycle. But Reagan is the only person to ascend to the presidency. And it's in part because of that brief moment you said that he had at the convention where he gave that short talk and everybody who knew that Ford was kind of a flat candidate said, wow, we nominated the wrong person. Reagan is also a special counsel. It's also, it wasn't clear that Reagan would have a shot in 1980. I mean, people thought he was too old. Now I know you, know, you have um, 80-year-olds regularly running for president of this country these days. But back then, I mean, Reagan was seen as old in his late 60s. And George H.W. Bush, who ran against him in 1980, regularly took shots at Reagan's age. They Made sure everyone shots. saw him running you know, all the time. Right, he ran right? and yeah. he would say, I'm 55 or 56, I'm the right age to run for president, which is clearly a dig at Reagan, even though he didn't mention Reagan by name. Yes, exactly right. Uh, I remember a version of it, uh, neither of which uh, will find much sucker except for the humor of it here, was in the primary of Mitt Romney versus John McCain, and Mitt Romney put out a video of him running some amazingly uh, good distance and speed. And the campaign put out a sign saying, let's see John McCain do that, which was a hit. And then, you know, a hit on McCain. And McCain's people, without missing a beat, put out the footage of his five years as a POW camp and said, let's see Mitt Romney do that. <laughs> I thought that was in the annals of making fun of someone's age. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, the, can, can I just yeah. say, you know, uh, yeah. McCain also had a great moment early in his career where he was challenged running in Arizona about the fact that he lacked a um, – uh, an Arizona address, and he said, well, I guess my most frequent address in the last uh, 
20 years of the Hanoi Hilton. Yeah, um, I guess if I lived any – right, yeah. it was. We're still missing his best line ever, which one – when he was asked about the 60s culture in Woodstock, you remember what he said? I'm sure I it was know. a fabulous event. I was tied up at the time. What did he say? I'm sure it was a fabulous event. I was tied up at the time. <laughs> yeah. Tevi Troy, you're the best, man. Thanks for coming on. This is a great piece. Congrats on getting all this writing uh, published uh, all in the same all in the same day. I really appreciate you. Tevi Troy. I'm Seth Leapson. Hugh Hallman coming right up. Hey, how Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.